You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, consider yourself warned. I'm about to tell a story about one of my kids. I've logged a lot of time in this sanctuary and listened to a lot of sermons, as many of you have. And I remember, uh, as a college student, listening to Denny Rydberg, who was then the director of university ministries and is now currently the president of Young Life. And he would tell stories about his kids. And in particular, I remember one, it was a baccalaureate sermon, where he used three questions that his children had asked him to illustrate great life lessons for the college graduate. Kid stories are great because they're filled with humor at times. They have refreshing honesty. Um, They illustrate uh, great truth and have surprising profundity. And here's my recent favorite. My son Jack, who is now four, but at the time was a little over three, was one day milling about the house, and I sensed his small presence behind me, following very closely. And so the first couple times I I turned around and acknowledged him. He sort of just giggled a little bit. But he kept following me very closely. And finally I turned around and said to him, Jack, what are you doing? And he replied, I'm following you, Mommy. I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm right on that one. And then I just continued on with what I was doing. And then I turned around again And a few minutes later, I asked, why are you following me? And he exclaimed, I'm following you because I love you. (laughs) It was a very tender moment for me. Well, Jesus has a group of people, although maybe not as closely, who have been following him, who love him. A group of 12 that you might call his small group. And they've been with him for three years. They were drawn to him. They were invited to follow him. And they responded. And they have watched him. They have listened to him. They have heard him speak about love and lavish it on others. And they have experienced it for themselves. And in their last days with him, Jesus gathers his friends, his disciples together to celebrate the Jewish Passover. And during this meal, he shares some parting words with them. Today and in the following weeks of Lent, we are looking at Jesus' final words to his followers, often called the Upper Room Discourse or the Farewell Discourse, that are spoken just before his impending death. His words are intimate and personal. We see him entertaining questions. Because at this point, he is speaking to just his own, his closest friends, for those whom he is willing to lay down his life. And yet, these words serve as a last testament directed to Christians of all time. And that includes us. You'll notice in the farewell discourse that true to its artful nature, it functions more like a symphony than a bulleted list of instructions. And so you see echoes and overlaps and variations on themes that are repeated throughout. And so if you didn't get it the first time, 
you'll probably hear it again. But the net effect is a, a beautiful cascading of teaching that woos and wins us to live deeply in Christ's love. Last week, George began our series with belief. And we discovered that belief is not an abstract set of propositions to ascribe to, but it is trusting in someone. Jesus says, believe in me. And today we attend to the heart. Our topic is love, which is also only found in relationship. And in our passage, we will see one of the only times where Jesus tells us, how to love him. And so I invite you now to pick up your pew Bible or the Bible that you've brought with you and look at our text. It's on page 877, John 14. And let's stand and we're going to read a portion of this text together. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 15, and we will read through verse 24. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them And make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Please be seated. Well, Jesus is leaving. And his followers are baffled. And at this point, they must have sensed that something is brewing, that their journey with Jesus is coming to a crescendo. Remember, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem, hailed by palm branches, people praising him, and he seems to be at the height, and is at the height, of his popularity. And yet, he speaks about leaving. And the disciples have no idea of what is going to ensue in the subsequent days. A betrayal, an arrest, a denial, a painful death, scattering, and fear, a crisis. 
What they are focused on is what Jesus is saying to them now. And he has told them that they can't follow him where he's going. And now he turns their attention to their hearts, telling him that if they love him, they will keep his word. They will follow him by following his way. And that is how they're going to find him, how they will meet up with him again. Well, it's no wonder that the disciples are confused. When I read this passage, I get a bit confused. It's all a bit bizarre and mysterious. Jesus is going, but he is coming. And Judas makes an attempt to unravel some of this by asking a question. Lord, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not the rest of the world? How are we going to see you apart from others? Good question. You see, the disciples have experienced seeing Jesus on a regular basis, and while they don't understand it all, there's plenty of evidence that Jesus is different. Jesus is divine and powerful, and they've understood somewhat what it means to follow him up until now. They've been doing it. And now Jesus says keeping his commandments is how they will continue to love him. And then he begins to describe something that the disciples have not yet experienced, nor anyone else, a new way to be with him. What does it mean to follow and love Jesus? What does it mean for us when we ourselves have not spent three years alongside him, watching him heal, hearing his laughter, feeling the touch of his hand on our shoulder? How do we relate to God and follow God's way? There are times when we all have clarity on the path of following Jesus. Seasons or moments when we feel that our lives are in sync with God. But we are all aware that there are times when we feel far from him. When God is a mystery and we long for that clear and tangible path times when we just aren't certain anymore. We're haunted by sometimes existential questions and driven, for, driven to find those answers that will satisfy our hearts and our minds. And we wonder, yeah, what does it mean to love God? Maybe we even worry a bit about it. Am I doing it? Am I really loving God by keeping his commandments? Are there some things I'm missing? Or maybe we can't even relate to that question because we feel like God is so hidden or, or indiscernible to us. Or we mistake God for a feeling. I used to have passion for God. I remember when my faith was new, but now I feel very little. Although I, I know, I know that God loves me. Have I lost something? Is God still with me? And when do I know that I've arrived and when I do so, how can I stay there? Well, arrival is the wrong question. Because we don't arrive. Because love is a journey. It's not a destination. Love is a journey because it is an experience in relationship. A relationship that is dynamic and changing. 
Pope Benedict XVI wrote his first encyclica on love. It's called God is Love. And in it he describes the journey of love that involves the heart and the mind. And he agrees, too, that it isn't a state in which we arrive. He says this, that experiencing God's love awakens in us feelings of joy that also engage our will and our intellect, the whole of us but that the process is open-ended. Love is never finished or complete. Throughout life, it changes and matures. And as it does, God's love becomes less alien to us as we become more and more, as it becomes more and more in communion with our will and our sentiment. So as love engages the whole person, our heart and our mind and our will, and matures, we become more at home with God because the distance between us and God narrows as we make our home in God and know God. In our text today, Jesus gives the disciples a means for intimacy and communion with him. He sets up a home. Jesus creates and describes an intimate space with love as the foundation where they will be able to see him plainly. They will experience his love. And how will this come about? Jesus says that he and the Father will move right into those who know and follow his way. Those who want to respond to God's love. Jesus says, here is how you show your love for me. Keep my commandments. Up until this point in John's gospel, we hear a lot of descriptions about Jesus loving others and his love for the world. But this is the very first time that he talks about how we love him in keeping his word and keeping his way. And in this, he is not pointing to a specific commandment or a set of moral precepts that we ascribe to, but actually a whole way of life. The whole person, the whole package, in union with him, loving him, following his whole way of life. Follow in my way and find your home in me, in relationship with me, and this is how you will live, Jesus says. And this love that is described here is reciprocal. That's relationship, isn't it? The very nature of love is reciprocal. The disciples reciprocate Jesus' love by keeping his word. And God reciprocates their love by bringing the disciples into this circle of divine love and making a home in them. This indwelling is initiated by love. It's founded on love. And interestingly enough, it is love that motivates the keeping of the commandments, commandments that are about love and that are given in love. Well, for the disciples, this is a whole new experience of relationship with Jesus. They are actually being invited into the model that Jesus experiences with the Father and the Spirit in intimate space. Or family of love. And this is something that has never been experienced by anyone. The disciples have experienced at this point 
what John got, John's Gospel tells us, the Word made flesh. God made into flesh, coming to us and dwelling with us. And now that Word will dwell within them. Jesus has abided and lived with them side by side, and now through the Spirit, he will be in them. And so we see that union with Jesus is not dependent upon bodily presence, but it is facilitated by God's own Spirit. Well, this can be difficult to grasp, and it's no wonder that the disciples are confused. God making his home in us experiencing God's love, and being invited into God's relational nature, Father, Son, and Spirit. But this is exactly what Jesus says, that he will be revealed to us profoundly as we love him and as we dwell in his love, as we make ourselves at home in his love. Well, in some ways, this does make a lot of sense. Because when we think about the people that we know and that we love the best, many of us describe it as, I just feel at home with them. Or being with my spouse is like putting on my most comfortable pair of sweats and just being who I am. We feel at home. And also, when we know and love someone well, especially someone that we really look up to, someone who has taught us something about life, even when we're not with them, we remember their words and we live our lives based on some of the things they taught us or the memory of them or the imprint their love has made on us. We live from that. And so in a sense, we carry them with us. And Jesus says that we are able to respond to his love by keeping his commandments. And this opportunity for response is a good thing. For our benefit, because we know that God's love is not conditional or authoritarian or restrictive. It's quite the opposite. As God humbles himself in Jesus Christ and breaks boundaries so that we can know the extent of his boundless love. And so through his instructions, through his teaching, what God is showing us is our best life. The boundaries that are created by God for us make life and health and good relationship possible. They aren't arbitrary. They're established by a God who knows us, who loves us, who understands us, and who wants us to thrive. These good spaces are given in love, and they allow all that is good and true and right and helpful to happen in us and then to overflow to others. So we don't obey God because he is our boss or because we feel obligated to do so, but it comes forth naturally because of being loved. And at the end of our passage, Jesus gives us an example of this. He talks about his love for the Father, and this is incidentally the only time in the New Testament that Jesus talks about his personal love for the Father. It's in verse 31. I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus following God's instructions out of love. And Jesus does not leave us alone on this. He provides for us a promise, a gift, 
a helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, because he knows we can't make it on our own. And he gives us the Spirit to be present with us, to help us, and to remind us of all that God has taught, to help us to follow him. He doesn't expect us to go at it on alone, and so this gift of the Spirit helps us to be one with Jesus. Now, in a few weeks, we'll hear a little more about the Holy Spirit and the, the further role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, I don't know how many of you have been watching the Olympics. I've sort of been glued to them, and today is the closing ceremony of the Olympics. And I love the Winter Games. They're exciting to me, really daring um, and this Olympics has been no exception. And on Wednesday, I had the great privilege and thrill of going to Vancouver for the day to see short track skating with a good friend of mine who happens to be herself a three-time national speed skating champion and was an alternate for the Olympics. Not this Olympics, a different Olympics, which I won't name. Um, Kelly Lunda. She's one of our elders here at the church. And that day I got to see the qualifying heats of the women's uh, 1,000 meters and the men's uh, 500 meters, as well as the finals of the women's 3,000 meter relay, in which the U.S. took a bronze medal. And so I saw our very own Apollo Ono just shine in his heat of the 500. He just, with grace and style, just made his move into those pockets of openings. I saw Catherine Reuter set an Olympic record in her qualifying heat, and then she later went on uh, to, to get second, to get a silver medal in the women's 1,000 meters. I saw athletes pouring out their best efforts after six, seven, eight, nine, ten plus years of training, intense and disciplined training, that as they approach the day of the Olympics, it moves to about three practices a day. And I think that no one would deny that these athletes do what they do because they love the sport. When you hear them interviewed, they often talk about their passion and love for their sport. And because of that, there are certain boundaries that they live in. There's a certain way of life that they ascribe to. Men and women training at that level do certain things because, in a sense, the decisions have already been made for them. To be an Olympic-grade athlete, there are certain things you need to do. They don't just practice when they feel like it or wear protective gear at a whim. They do things and they don't do things because of love of the sport and the desire to shine, and this naturally elicits their response, although I'm sure some days they're more enthused about it than others. It has been said that you obey what you love. And the athlete's pattern of obedience shows what they love. And the coaches are in with them too, aren't they? They sort of play the role of the Holy Spirit. They remind and instruct and advise the athlete's training based on the best interest of the athlete so that they can be their very best and love of the sport. Jesus invites us into this forever relationship with God. 
giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit, a real-time advocate who is with us today, now, present, reminding us and helping us keep the timeless words, the timeless teaching of Jesus who lives in us. And through this, we find love and intimacy, and we can offer that to the world. This is the gift of experiencing God's love, God's pursuit of us. A God who is the shepherd going after that lost sheep. The woman who is searching endlessly for the lost coin. The father who goes out to meet and to embrace his prodigal son. God follows us to the depths of our separation from him in one great event of love. God goes to great lengths to follow us into our human condition to the point that it leads him to death on a cross. And so we are invited to follow him. To follow him and shadow him closely so that it's clear that we too have accepted his gift of love by our response with our lives. This one act of love that claims us in Jesus Christ elicits in us the ability and the desire for subsequent acts of love. God first loved us. So love is no longer a mere command, but rather a response to a compelling and winsome gift of love that finds its home within us. God doesn't demand from us a feeling that we are capable, incapable of producing. As a matter of fact, our capacity to love is there because God created it within us. He loves us. He causes us to see and experience love in Jesus Christ. And since he first love, loves us, then a response of love blossoms within us. I'm following you. Because I love you, my son said to me. I'm following you because I love you, God says to us as he pursues us in Jesus Christ. And then he says to us, follow me because you love me. Gracious God, we thank you for your expansive and winsome love. And that you invite us into that love. And that you will make a home in us, in our lives, as we respond to you and follow you. And so God, give us the capacity to follow you because of our love for you. And Lord, whether we have been walking with you for many years, perhaps been far away, or even if we are just wondering what it is like to, have, to be at home in your love, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and meet us and speak to us in this day and that we would be empowered to share your love. In your son's name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, 
or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.